to Proverbs chapter 6. My child, if you have put up security for a friend's debt or agreed to guarantee the debt of a stranger, if you have trapped yourself by your agreement and are caught by what you have said, follow my advice and save yourself, for you have placed yourself at your friend's mercy. Now swallow your pride, go and beg to have your name erased from this contract, from this obligation. Don't put it off. Do it now. Don't rest until you do. Save yourself like a gazelle escaping from a hunter, like a bird fleeing from a net. So this is a practical advice about money management. Uh, Rabbi Glenn, how about we start with you? Well, you know, if you, if somebody asks you to, to you know, co-sign for them to be the guarantor, uh, you end up putting your things, your finances, your estate as collateral because if that person defaults, they're coming after you and you will lose whatever that you had put up as collateral. And the first question I wanted to ask, and then I'll just throw it back to you, is what would make you want to enter such an agreement in the first place? Um, it's such poor judgment. But the fact is that we frequently speak before we think. And that gets us into trouble. What would cause you to um, co-sign a loan or guarantee someone else's debt or financial deal? Um, they ask you, and they're a friend, and you want to be nice. And so you don't say no. A lot of us have a hard time saying no when we should say no. Alexandra. Well, swallow your pride and go and beg to have your name erased. That's what struck me. It's really, it would be so embarrassing, but it's better to have that uncomfortable conversation sooner rather than later. And the way they put it, don't put it off. Do it now. Like, usually the Bible is saying, don't be hasty. Think before you act. But here it's like, go do it. Do not procrastinate this. And what struck me even more is like, this is so important. You don't want to be financially destroyed. It's so important that you swallow your pride and you beg the person. Can Is that what we're supposed to do with evangelism? Like, when you know your person that you're talking to is going to hell, I just don't know. And this is a question for you, Rabbi Lauren. Do we just, you know, be a good witness and tell them the gospel? Or do we beg them and say, on judgment day, I don't want you looking at me and saying, why didn't you slap me upside the head? Why didn't you beg me? Why didn't you say something more? Like, I just wonder about that. And if that, if this even fits that situation, this particular proverb. So avoid financial destruction by guaranteeing other people's debts and avoid um, spiritual destruction by not listening to the gospel and for us not being passionate to tell others the good news. Marth, any comments? Well, I, I um, note that it's talking about um, the recommendation is to not co-sign for a friend or a stranger's debt. 
but it doesn't say anything about family. I think family is in a different category, and I know um, that we were helped with our uh, first home, and um, so some family members you want to be very careful with uh, their track record <laughs> and say no to, um, but other family members who have shown to be responsible, I think, are in a different category. Mm -hmm. Especially parents with children, um, parents with significant assets, children, or, you know, adult children who are first starting off. That's what, you know, my parents did for me so we could get our first house in Southfield. But I was, you know, responsible and had a, <laughs> a good job and had demonstrated, you know, financial responsibility for, you know, 10, ten years by that point, so my parents took a deep breath and co-signed, you know, our, our mortgage, which helped us get our first house. But even with um, family, there are people, there are family yeah. members who <laughs> don't have good character, who are not responsible, and you don't want to destroy your financial well-being uh, because of a relative. So you have to still you know, be extremely cautious. And, and even, if we, even if we go to that person and plead with them, please, I spoke rashly, please let me be released from this. There's no guarantee that you will be. Um, there's no guarantee. So the best scenario is don't make such promises where strangers or where anybody with a questionable track record is concerned. Just don't even go there. One more comment from me, and that is what applies to individuals often applies to nations, which are, you know, a larger group of individuals. So if I was uh, running the United States of America, and I think we would be much better off if I were. Are you announcing your candidacy? I'm not announcing my candidacy. Uh, our government makes all kinds of guarantees, right, and has for decades. Student loan guarantees. Why is the government of the United States guaranteeing student loans, which are now up to like $1.6 trillion? And of course, a lot of these people are now defaulting on these student loans, which is impoverishing the rest of us, why did we do that? If our leaders had read Proverbs, they would not have done that. Uh, pension guarantees. The United States has a pension guarantee you know, department. We guarantee all these pensions, probably several trillion dollars, that you and me have guaranteed other people's pensions. Housing guarantees. Why in the world is the United States government in the housing business? Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, uh, the Federal Home Loan Bank, and <laughs> it is foolish. It's already costing us. People have, you know, taken advantage and gotten these loans that the rest of us are guaranteeing. Banks 
FDIC, Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. We're guaranteeing all the deposits under $250,000 in the United States, right? Uh, there's hardly any money in the FDIC and the banking system has, I don't know, $16 trillion in deposits that the government has guaranteed. Foolish, foolish, destructive, foolish. We will pay a very high price for this ignoring of God's financial wisdom as a nation. Mark my words. Rabbi Glenn, how about you read verses 6 through 11? Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. But you, lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Nicely read with emotion and feeling. Thank you. <laughs> Rebus and Alexandra, any thoughts? Yes. We have to look at the ants and consider their ways. And what are their ways? They are efficient. They have a mission. They are on a path. They accomplish it. They do steadfast work. They are self-motivated. And they prepare for the season ahead. It's not that they don't rest. It's just that they get to rest in the winter and not in the summer. And then I try to translate that. Like, what does that actually mean? I think it means to set goals, write down your goals, get up early, limit your TV and screen time, prepare for the day, prepare for the week, um, and get things done. They work hard in the summer. So, yes, assuming that they rest in the winter, or for maybe for us, it would be like when we're just too old and tired to work hard, <laughs> we get to rest. <laughs> I like that. Martha. Um, just to uh, add to that same idea, um, it's clear that there's a timing to um, when to work and when to rest. And lazy people will often um, procrastinate and use the excuse, well, I have time, I can do it later. But um, as we can see here, later isn't always right. Even if you do the work that you didn't do when you should have done it, it doesn't work when you do it at the wrong time. You're not provided for in the winter if you decide to start uh, the work in late fall that should have been started in the summer. So um, timing is an important piece in this too. Rabbi Glenn. Yeah, just to echo that, recognize the season you're in both through a year, but also in your life. Recognize the season you're in. Work hard while you're able, because days will come when you're unable to work that hard. So understand the time where you are. There's nothing wrong with sleep in and of itself, but there are, as, as you guys have said, limited windows of opportunity, okay? If you miss that window, 
you know, you will not be reaping anything. You know, if you reap what you sow, what happens if you sow nothing? Right? Um, there definitely are times when you have to work harder, seasons. My dad was a CPA. So CPA's whole year is geared around April 15th, tax day, because you know they have to do all these filings for their clients starting around, I don't know, the beginning of January. I hardly saw my father from like February 1st to April 15th. He worked so hard. He had to. It was expected. Uh, but then things lightened up after that. So there will be times when you need to be more engaged, more active in certain things that God has assigned you to than other times. You have to expect that. You're going to have to sacrifice for that. That's what wisdom would do. Uh, you look at the ants, these little creatures, we're so much bigger than they are. Our brains are so much bigger than a little ant brain. And yet God has designed them with some amazing abilities and some wisdom. God is amazing. A lot more than the ants. He is a great and wise designer. He's designed animals and even little insects with tremendous wisdom, instincts, animal instincts. I, I just continue to marvel the more I learn about animals and nature and instincts and why <laughs> insects and animals do the things they do. Uh, so there are things to learn from all of nature, and the Word of God tells us to learn from various animals, including the ants. Um, verse 11, if you're not a hard worker, if you're a lazy bones, then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Poverty, bankruptcy, happens in two ways usually. Slowly at first, and then suddenly at the end. It happens for individuals, and bankruptcy and poverty also can happen for nations. Slowly, the decay at first, slowly, slowly, and then at the end, very quickly. Of course, I believe that we have been slowly... Uh, going bankrupt the United States for 50, 60 years, all these debts and deficits. We'll never pay it back. They'll just print more money. Slowly and then suddenly it all happens in a very unpleasant way. One more comment. This is just talking about hard work, right? Being diligent, hard... There's no substitute for being a diligent, hardworking individual. This also applies to our life with the Lord. We want to be diligent, hard workers, servants of the Lord. We want to work hard at serving the Lord. We want to work hard at proclaiming the gospel, Romans 16, Paul writes, give my greetings to Persis who has worked so hard for the Lord. 
You can work hard at your job. You can work hard at your career. And if you don't work, you know, if you're lazy with the Lord and serving the Lord and proclaiming, you know, the, the message of the Lord, working hard at that, is your life really a success? First Corinthians 15, Paul again, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be firm, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord. Excelling in the work of the Lord. I can tell from my knowledge of almost everyone who is part of Shema and others, those who are hard workers for the Lord and those who are lazy bones and everything in between. You want to be a hard worker for the Lord, serving the Lord by serving the people in Messiah's community, especially here at Shema, serving the Lord by working hard at proclaiming the gospel to those the Lord sends your way. Marth, verse uh, 12, 13, 14, 15. Why don't you read that? <clears throat> what are worthless and wicked people like? They are constant liars, signaling their deceit with a wink of the eye, a nudge of the foot, or the wiggle of fingers. Their perverted hearts plot evil, and they constantly stir up trouble. But they will be destroyed suddenly, broken in an instant beyond all hope of healing. Thoughts? Well, um, Clearly, there's a description of body language that goes on here um, with deceitful people. And if we are only tuned into words, the same person uh, tends to lie constantly, and we will be fooled. We need to look beyond words because a large part of what people really think, believe, are scheming come out in body language. Alexandra? I noticed that too. I, I, the body enacts what's in the heart sooner or later. And some people are really expert at picking up body language, and some people are kind of impervious to it. But I think we can all... Um, enhance that ability, and we're supposed to. The other thing that struck me about this is this is the third time that there's some, a suddenness, like the, it was like this. Suddenly, your debt will swallow you up. The second one is um, poverty will pounce on you like a bandit, and here it's judgment. These wicked people—they can go along, go along, go along—but they will suddenly um, be destroyed, and um, we can actually take comfort in that, you know, not fretting because of the wicked. We're just knowing that there will be a judgment. Uh, a couple of things. One is in, in self-defense classes, one of the most primary things they will teach you, aside from techniques, is situational awareness. And we need to be situationally aware in the area of good and evil and 
in dealings with people. We need to have discernment. God has given us. It's part of the benefits package of being a follower of the Messiah is he gives us greater discernment. Use it. Recognize when somebody's uh, being that way. Um, also, that we shouldn't be surprised that such evil exists in a fallen, sinful, broken world. Um, and as Alexander said, we shouldn't fret. God's justice will come, and it will come suddenly, and all these things will be brought to light. By the way, the Hebrew here is interesting. A worthless person is called Adam Belial. Belial, Belial, Satan, uh, the evil one. Uh, Beli is a, a, a construct in the Hebrew meaning lacking something, without. And uh, Ya'al means worth or value. So this is a person completely lacking value. You know, considering this is the word of God, and God made us, every one of us bears his image. So it's got to be pretty bad for God to reckon a certain person as having no worth. How bad does that have to be? But such people exist. We need to be on our guard. I'd like to question what are worthless and wicked people like? Well, they don't tell the truth. They're, they're constant liars. They are troublemakers. They are plotting evil things, stirring up trouble. And they lack resiliency. Uh, they're broken in an instant. The wicked, you know, they have this construct of, you know, this, this false worldview. And if they... they they can't take a setback. They lack resiliency. They suddenly collapse. Their world falls apart. The righteous are much more resilient. They have God as their ally, you know, as their supporter, their ally. They have inner resiliency. All right, so um, I'm going to ask the question in a slightly different way. Well, same question, but I'm going to answer it what I think are today's uh, main perpetrators. What are worthless and wicked people like? Uh, three letters. A-S-P. A-S-P. Asp. You know what an asp is? A serpent. It's a snake. Poisonous snake. Deadly. Asp. What characterizes worthless, wicked people today? Atheism which is cool and popular and most of our elites and really most of our society, they might be nominally Christian or they're really atheists. They really, they really do not believe in God. Atheism, it's a horrible thing, truly a horrible thing. S, socialism, uh, what atheism is to um, religious truth like socialism is to political truth, it is destructive. And our, most of our elites, I think, and a lot of our young people are socialists. So A, atheism, S, socialism, and P, perversion. All kind, you know, sexual perversion is being promoted by these atheistic, socialistic leaders, elites, right? Transgenderism, homosexuality, Lesbianism, bisexual, right? LGBTQ plus. One word for that, P, perversion, sexual perversion. So what are 
worthless and wicked people like? Asp. Uh, Alexandra, verse 16. There are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord in a family. Thoughts? Well, each of these is antithetical to God's holy nature. And the fact that lying comes up two times, lying tongue and false witness, I mean, he, that's really an abomination. I thought about haughty eyes. You know, God is not haughty. Love is not boastful or proud. I tried to see if I could correlate each one. It's not possible to do that, but we can get an opposite picture of what God is like. And, you know, you know, being in with Pekuach Nefesh, we just think about the hands that shed innocent blood. Mm-hmm. So terrible. Rabbi Glenn. Yeah. God hates these things precisely because they hurt us and he loves us. Therefore, he hates uh, when people do things that hurt other people. Um, and those words are strong. Sane, he hates. And detests, toeva. He considers them abominable. He really hates liars. He hates lying. He hates murder. And when you talk about hands that kill the innocent, What could be more exemplary of that than abortionists? Taking a bribe to strike down the innocent. Taking money to kill the innocent. But not just the abortionists. Everyone who is pro-abortion shares in that guilt. All the supporters. Aiding and abetting. Aiding and abetting. You are participating. Mm -hmm. He hates when people lack honesty or integrity. There's not just... Lying tongue. He hates lying. But then when it says a false witness, that's taking it to the next level and perjuring yourself in a legal proceeding. Perverting and polluting the judicial process. God is a God of justice, fairness, righteousness. And that anybody would take a bribe or offer a bribe to pervert Justice, who would lie on the witness stand. Uh, God detests that. And finally, you know, the seventh is sort of like the worst. You know, what could be worse than murder? You think nothing. But this, the idea of that seventh thing is it sums up everything else, right? The, 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 the pinnacle, or I should say the, the depth of all of this is the person who sows discord in a family or a person who who creates division between brothers. God is also a God of shalom. He's a God of peace. And he wants reconciliation. He wants harmony. He wants us to love each other, care about each other, bear one another's burdens. And then you've got somebody who goes out of their way to cause division, to destroy relationships. God considers that an abomination. 
uh, not just your physical family. God designed family to support and love and, and, and nurture one another, right? And the family unit is so, you know, important. Your spiritual family is so important uh, to love and nurture you spiritually and help you and maybe be your family when your physical family is not there for you, Right? And people who sow discord in a local community, uh, like we've had here at Shema three, four times, uh, you know, in, since I've been here, uh, the last one being the worst with one individual who purposely sowed discord uh, in the Shema family. Um, you don't want to ever do that or participate in that. Shut down, gossip, nip it. In the bud. Somebody starts talking to you about somebody else and it's not good, you shut it down. Because otherwise you are feeding that. And people should be ashamed when they're gossiping. So you're doing them a favor when you say, stop. This is about to go into the realm of gossip. I will not hear it. And you're better than this, I hope. Marth? Um, That pretty much covers it. The only other thing that... um I noted was in verse 18, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong. There's like an eagerness that's wrapped up with that whole orientation um, to do wrong. When the heart is perverted, it's a set path. And so the scheming um, is with enthusiasm, with zeal, that's eager to find any opportunity to do wrong. And we really need to be discerning about our association with such people. The leadership who are ASP, atheist, socialist, perverts, are, have hearts that plot evil, feet that race to do wrong. They are pushing this perverted, you know, stuff on us, this transgenderism, pushing it, you know, in the culture, pushing it in the schools, kindergarten now, right? Social media, uh, getting politicians elected who will push the agenda, judges who will uphold this agenda. That's the kind of heart that plots evil feet that race to do wrong. Our culture is now filled with them. Our leaders really exemplify this. Verse 20, my son, obey your father's commands and don't neglect your mother's instruction. Keep their words always in your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, their counsel will lead you. When you sleep, they will protect you. When you wake up, they will advise you. For their command is a lamp and their instruction a light. Their corrective discipline is the way to life. I'm going to break up this last passage here. Uh, Listen to parents who know God and the word of God. Listen to godly parents. They're a blessing. What they teach you will be based on the word of God, and that will help you and protect you. So parents, be godly and teach your children uh, godly truth. Rabbi Glenn? 
Well, this isn't written to a, a little child who lacks the capacity to understand these things. This is written more to uh, a young man, young woman, whose emotional and mental faculties are more developed. So this is a very reasonable thing. You know, you couldn't, a three-year-old, a four-year-old, this is not who that's written to. This is written to young men, young women, to appreciate um, the wisdom that comes from those who have more years under their belt, who perhaps have had to learn the painful way from their mistakes and want to help you avoid having to take that painful route. So we should treasure it. Martha? Well, reading this as a parent and a grandparent, I felt the weightiness of the responsibility. Um, first of all, the mother is as much responsible for this instruction as the father. And secondly, um, <laughs> you have to be providing this information and protection for them to tie around their neck. If you're not being intentional about providing this for your children, um, where are they going to get it from? Shabbat school is no substitute for parents and grandparents. They are responsible before God. They're the primary providers of wisdom and truth to their children and grandchildren. Shabbat school, we can only supplement a tiny little bit. And don't depend on the school system either. Alexandra. It's so scary to be a young person today or to be a baby born today, and yet this is the key. Not neglecting, obeying the good instruction is a protection, it's guidance. It will protect them when you wake up, when you go to sleep. And the fact that it's written means it's a natural inclination to disobey and neglect. And I think all of us, you know, who have been teenagers, we want to separate from our families. We want to be our own person. We want to establish our own ideas. And yet we can't throw out everything. We need to hang on to the good instruction. Yeah, Solomon didn't listen, uh, Rehoboam didn't listen to Solomon, did he? No. So um, this is a continuation. And one of the most important things that parents need to teach their children is to stay within God's boundaries for sex, sexual boundaries, right? That's what the rest, this long passage that we're about to read is all about. And this is the job of the parents for the children, not public school teachers. Primar it's primarily the parents. I'll read it with feeling. Thank you. <laughs> it will keep you from the immoral woman from the smooth tongue of a promiscuous woman. Don't lust for her beauty. Don't let her coy glances seduce you. For a prostitute will bring you to poverty, but sleeping with another man's wife will cost you your life. Can a man scoop a flame into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? Can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? So it is with the man who sleeps with another man's wife. He who embraces her will not go unpunished. Excuses might be found for a thief who steals because he's starving, 
But if he is caught, he must pay back seven times what he stole, even if he has to sell everything in his house. But the man who commits adultery is an utter fool, for he destroys himself. He will be wounded and disgraced. His shame will never be erased, for the woman's jealous husband will be furious, and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation, nor be satisfied with a payoff of any size. And you did read that, uh, read that with feeling. Thank you. Thoughts, Rabbi Glenn? Okay, well, tying this with the last section, willful disregard of parental wisdom will put you on a potentially deadly and destructive trajectory. Um, and the surest way to destroy your future is to commit adultery. It will destroy your marriage. It will destroy your finances, either through a costly divorce or through extortion, which happens. It will destroy your reputation. And if there are children in either or both of those families, you're going to destroy your children. And... Uh, it could lead even to worse things than just financial ruin, depending on just how furious the betrayed husband is. All true. Alexandra? I just have a few scribbled notes. One is recognize the danger before temptation comes, setting up moral guardrails. All of us need to understand that we're not as strong as we think, and we need to make sure our children know that as well. And the other thing is just that the marriage union is so holy, and I, we're really losing that. I hope that we can all kind of revive our understanding of how holy the marriage is to God. Martha? Um, <clears throat> verse 25 says, don't lust for her beauty. And I want to point out that Enjoying and appreciating the physical attractiveness of a woman or a man is not the same as lust. Um, lust wants to possess, wants to take um, for selfish reasons. Love, by contrast, gives. In marriage, the giving is like a, a self-donation, a personal self-donation. Lust does just the opposite. And um, I wanted to read a short prayer um, by Tim Keller that had a good insight into this. Lord Aiken lusted after the beauty of the gold, so he stole it in Joshua. If I allow myself to gaze at and lust after someone's physical beauty, I too might be inflamed and steal it, take it wrongly. Help me redirect my desire for intimacy and beauty into communion with you, fairest Lord Jesus. Beautiful. There are degrees of sin, 
including sexual sin. The focus of this is adultery, but it also mentions prostitution. A prostitute will bring you to poverty, but sleeping with another man's wife will cost you your life. One sin is more dangerous, worse than another sin. It's not that prostitution is okay. Prostitution is not okay. It's bad. It harms the poor prostitute. It harms the man who is engaging in prostitution. It's degrading, demeaning to both of them, dishonoring to God. But adultery is even worse. There are degrees of sin. There are degrees of sexual sin. Some are worse than others. We need need to be constantly on guard for sexual sin. It's wrong, it's destructive, it's dishonoring to God, it brings embarrassment, financial ruin, producing children that don't have the advantage of being raised by a father and mother in a united family, right? Um, So avoid all kinds of sexual sin, sex before marriage, Sex outside of marriage, twisted, perverted sex of any kind. And one other insight um, that I had was that oftentimes people think that they can get away with something because they're doing it in secret behind closed doors. And um, that helps to dupe them because we are warned that there are consequences and they will come to pass one way or another. Thank you, Martha. Thank you, Alexandra. Thank you, Rabbi Glenn.